and welcome to Elevating Humanity, a podcast of the College of Liberal Arts at the University of Nevada, Reno, dedicated to sharing the current research and history of our esteemed faculty within the College of Liberal Arts. My name is Isaac Goyette, and I'll be your host. You can find additional episodes of this podcast on Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. For today's guest, we have Jay Diego Zarazua, the Coordinator in Education, Research, and Outreach here at the University of Nevada, Reno's Latino Research Center. Diego, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Glad to hear that. Uh, so just moving right along into our first question here, um, if you could give us a, a little roadmap of your career, kind of what brought you into this field and how long have you been involved? Definitely. Well, my I'm a UNR alum. My undergraduate was here at the School of Journalism with a minor in Spanish. I'm currently wrapping up a master's program in world languages and literature with a Spanish facilitation right on. Um, with a sub-focus or secondary focus in linguistics and primary focus in uh, literature and language in, mm-hmm. in Spanish. And I mention that because not only has my education been right in line with uh, most of my career, but uh, my career focus both previously with a financial institution and now at the University of Nevada has had these ties of communication and just the love for for my community, the Latinx, Hispanic community, and just uh, upbringing that community in many different ways, whether if it's research, education, community outreach, um, those have always been the principles of, of where I want my career headed and where it's at currently, so I'm very happy with that. Very cool. What would you say the uh, the most rewarding thing uh, from your studies, your research, and your work uh, has been thus far? Um, I think everything is rewarding um, in the sense of, of where I'm at now and, and you know, this, this secret to life of, of doing what you love so that <laughs> it doesn't seem like a job, but it's something that it's totally enjoyable. And I think every day that I come to work, the fact that my work continues to be very enjoyable, of course, it's hectic and chaotic and we have crazy <laughs> yeah, deadlines sometimes, um, but it's very enjoyable because it serves a purpose that's very close to my heart. And I think that in very early on deciding a career that um, was something that I was very passionate about was the right thing to do. And I think that's the biggest reward of, of all. Cool, cool. Um, so, what uh, what would you what would you say would be your goals beyond uh, beyond getting your master's? Uh, what what do you uh, what do you want to do afterwards? Basically, you know what I just read personally in my life, both professionally and personally, I just ran into that. You know, I recently turned thirty, finishing up a master's. Definitely not your traditional student uh, by all means, but it just so happened that I spent a lot of my time building a five-year plan, building a 10-year plan. And then I kind of got there. And I think in the last couple of years, because of life events as well, um, I didn't get a chance to really formulate a plan and a roadmap, a vision board for myself. Um, and I've really been constructing that as I go, which has been enjoyable as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that I'm keeping my uh, professional focuses, especially after uh, my graduate program is completed, very close to that same mission, uh, but definitely excelling in, in academia, finding, uh, you know, maybe a, a career of advancement uh, within the university. Um, and I've always had this intention to, you know, build my own side gig, right? Build my own business as well. So I'm really mm-hmm. looking into building that. Uh, so I'm happy to be able to hone in on some of the skills that I've gained through 
uh, my educational career at the university and life skills as well and experiences to be able to kind of build this um, uh, side business that I'm now kind of venturing on. Um, so that's that. Very cool. So that sounds sounds exciting. Um, so if you could tell us a little bit about uh, your podcast, Day Dayaya, uh, excuse me if the pronunciation was off there. Um, what uh, what inspired you to to get it started? What's the production cycle of it like? So on and so forth. Oh, you're right, spot on 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 the title, Daki Daya. <laughs> right on. Um, and it's it, it really translates to from here and from there. Okay. Um, and what inspired me to really start this podcast was really my own story and knowing that my story resembles the uniqueness of a lot of stories of uh, Hispanic, Latinx, first generation, second generation students, faculty, people of color in our community. Um, that for far too long have b believed in a narrative that I grew up with, which was actually the opposite. Ni de aquí ni de allá. Nor from here, nor from there. Uh, which really subconsciously starts building these limitations within your life where you really believe that you do not belong in one space nor another. And those spaces could be multiple from a career path to uh, professional development to even an educational attainment. Um, and with this podcast, I really try to elevate the stories of those individual people um, of Latinx Hispanic background um, and really allow them to believe in their own story that they belong in multiple spaces at once, that their uh, identities are inter uh, uh, intersectional and that their story is their biggest power and mm -hmm. that they do belong here, wherever that here may be. Um, through my uh, through my professional careers, I've had the opportunity. Um, I've had the pleasure of meeting a lot of students. I've had the pleasure of meeting a lot of faculty. And within sharing our stories, I also was able to identify that that is very true amongst us. So that kind of gave me that push of needing to uh, put my little grain of, 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 of sand into this big, movement of dismantling this narrative of you do not belong with the new narrative that says let's construct a narrative that says you do belong and you belong in multiple spaces at once and like i said my story is a a prime example of that that i could share throughout um hosting uh these these episodes in the podcast mm. and uh when it when it comes to uh people's identity and the idea that they uh that they don't belong uh in these communities that of course they absolutely do they stem from both, as you said. What do you feel is the common reaction there that people kind of go through when, they're, when, when they don't have a support network and an idea that uh, you know, they do belong in the communities that they exist in? Yeah. I'm not sure if I'm understanding your question. Maybe you could ask um, me in a different way. Let's see. Uh, basically, just... What what you're describing there, uh, to me, sounds like it can, uh, can feel very isolating in a lot of ways. And basically just how do people deal with that feeling of isolation and what, uh, what, what can help them through that? What can help them um, realize that they are able to exist in these communities? Well, I'll tell you one thing. I think that I... Uh that one, I was very lucky to to proclaim my own identity in my late years of high school and really as a way of 
I, I'm not sure how it happened, but I do recall when it happened. And I was just tired of feeling that sense of isolation. I was tired of feeling uh, imposter syndrome, which I didn't have a title for. Mm. I didn't have a way to identify it at the time. But I just did not feel that whole time that I grew up K through 12, like many other of my classmates and friends, that I belonged or, or as these conversations around 14 and 15, not just with puberty and with growing up and adulthood, uh, but also these conversations of, of growth and rite of passage into talking about a career path, uh, college attainment. They just didn't seem like those were obtainable to me. And I had to really dig deep and ask myself why that wasn't a possibility. Mm -hmm. And I was able to identify and self-identify that a lot of it had to do with my own identity. I just did not feel like I belonged. Um, and I had to, like I said, reclaim my own identity and say, I actually do belong. I belong here and there. And I consider myself Mexican American. Mm -hmm. And this wasn't just a fight with, uh, uh, Anglo classmates, but also very Mexican classmates who had just gotten, uh, to the, the small rural community that I lived in, which was mostly composed of, um, uh, Spanish speakers who, who identified as Mexican where I didn't feel like I was Mexican enough, right? My own roots, my own mm. skin color. So I really had to fight that. And so I went into this podcast, um, starting the, the first episode with my own story, right? Walk my own talk. If I'm asking people to share their stories, I got to really share mine. And I, and I address that because I don't believe that I'm a very vulnerable person or a person that opens up, but I do believe that there's a power in our stories, that there's a power in uplifting other people's stories. So then to answer your question, when I had the opportunity to start bringing guests in on episode three, two and now approaching season four, um, I realized that a lot of my guests haven't gotten to that point, mm -hmm. that they understand that there are multiple identities within them, but they haven't gotten to a point of proclaiming that identity and saying, wait a minute, I do belong. I am all these multiple things that deep down I know that I am, that I strive for every single day, that make up all of my passions, my hard work, uh, my difficulties, my hardships as well, and who I am. But a lot of them haven't got to that moment. Uh, and it was really interesting for me as a host to learn how to respect the conversation and the point of where they are in their own identity, but also help be that... Uh, meter of of um, of uh, of movement that helps them see that that old narrative that we have been told for so long as immigrants, as first generation, as as uh, Latinx and Hispanic identified uh, people of this community in a, in a foreign country that we do not belong. Ni de aquí ni de allá, which mm -hmm. is a narrative in Spanish, which was created by our own people. Um, is a narrative we need to start de deconstructing and we need to start believing that we do belong. So it was really interesting to see that a lot of people are not quite there. And a lot of my guests vary in in backgrounds, um, in age groups, et cetera. I think the, the biggest thing that we have in common is that we either identify Latinx, Hispanic, first generation, and we have some sort of interdisciplinary or uh, intersectional identity in one way or another. Um, but where we're at within accepting that or realizing that or proclaiming our own identity um, in multiple spaces was very different. Mm -hmm. um, and that was very interesting to me. I think I just assumed, oh, I did this so early on and I, you know, I've been given the power to 
to walk with with my full identity for so long that I just thought everybody was there. Mm. The reality is that not a lot of people are there. Um, what I learned there and what I've learned in my past through through uh, a lot of the students I've had the opportunity to meet, both with our interns, our Latino Student Advisory Board, uh, the leadership Hispanic, uh, the National Hispanic Leadership Conference that we uh, attain, is that um, a lot of these students already had a, a major hardship in getting to uh, higher education, to getting into a four-year institution because of this narrative in itself, just like I did, right? When I proclaim my identity was they're here, maybe through mentors and help, but they still don't fully believe in themselves. Um, I talked earlier about, about imposter syndrome, which is mm. the self-belief that you just don't belong in that space. And a lot of it has to do with your heritage, your background, uh, your um your bilingualism right and and having and maybe your your mother tongue or your your heritage tongue be different from what is spoken in an academic campus um and also being first generation and not having somebody directly in your family like a parent who's obtained a four-year uh, uh degree at a at a higher in, uh, higher education institution which makes it very hard to even identify resources or know how to navigate the world of a university as well. So they're coming on the campus every single day with all those fears, with all those uh, setbacks that they've identified in this process of having this imposter syndrome. And even myself as a professional in my office, very often enough where I'm invited to a, a meeting or so, and I'm the, the only person of color on that Zoom window or, mm. in, the, or in, in the table, um, I often have to talk myself out of that imposter syndrome and really believe that I'm here for a reason that the the skills and uh, that my own life experience uh, that I that I'm able to bring to the table are are worth being here and it's just years of believing in that that still takes us on every day um, which is unfortunate but we hope that the podcast and elevating these stories um, and elevating these stories in a very raw format very realistic format that talks about the harp the hardships the unpleasant times but then the glorious times of being in a room and really being able to see that your heritage or your life experience brings something to the table mm -hmm. whether if it's a classroom a meeting a, a meeting a committee um those are the those are the moments right those are the aha moments where you say okay i i do belong here or my intersectional identities uh, do have a space here right and they sure. they bring something beautiful uh, to this community, to this campus, uh, to my workforce, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Sweet. All right. So uh, in regards to your guests, um, how do you often um, come into contact with them? Do you find yourself reaching out to them more often? Have people reached out to you? Uh, and what, uh, what helps you decide on a topic when uh, bringing these guests in? Is it more natural? Is it more uh, planned? And uh, if it is planned, and if you are reaching out to guests, how um, how do you find that right fit of topic and guest? Another complex question, because I I am a planner, I am an organizer, mm -hmm. I want plan A, B, and C, and possibly Z in case things go wrong, right? I want to do that with everything. And of course, this podcast was not an exception. So I definitely started by formulating a season that was going to resemble work that I could get done within the semester because that's when our student body's here that's when our faculty is here and uh, this podcast was not just for 
uh, overall community, but, but it was also intended for our faculty and our students here. That was the main purpose, right, mm. three seasons ago. Um, in deciding guests, I really wanted to have an array of different guests and experiences from faculty, Latinx faculty, Hispanic faculty that could bring academic experience or personal experience to students still being very early on in their academic life. And then community members and the workforce members who make up our overall community. I wanted it to be very diverse because our Latinx Hispanic community is very diverse in its sense, not just in uh, dialect and, and, and heritage background, but also in where we're at in our life. So I really made sure that if I was going to have 10 episodes on every season that I could incorporate, you know, three of each spot pocket or two of each pocket in different in age group and background or so. When it came to the topic, I try to look for topics that were happening and were relevant to current times. We know that we like to listen to things that are happening now. We know we have a better focus on things that are happening around us, whether if it's the Black Lives Movement, uh, whether if it's Hispanic Heritage Month happening now, mental health awareness. And as we know through, through um, different uh, studies and research, there's no longer any Latinx topic, right? Every topic is of Latinx Hispanic focus. We are living in the U.S., we are taking up space, and we're taking up space in all types of, of disciplines, so any topic is relevant to us. How do I connect those stories, and how do I specifically find guests that are in those? Um, it thankfully has not been challenging because our university has uh, a, a rich amount of, of faculty and students that are very... Um, accessible, and so does our community in Northern Nevada. Um, I have kept it kind of within this area, the Northern Nevada, uh, California area within our guests, because I really wanted people to be able to either identify somebody. As we know, Northern Nevada has a very small town feel, so if you don't know somebody, you know somebody that knows that person, mm. and it really helped connect those stories for those people, whether they're younger or whatever age, to really believe that whether their story is similar or unique in a way, um, there's an opportunity for them to get to that point of saying, I do belong, this is my space, I belong um, in multiple spaces at once and really kind of claim that identity. Um, and the topics is kind of have definitely helped uh, bring a, a different conversation, a different life experience every single time onto the episodes. Um, in this last season, I try to incorporate more group conversations. So the first two seasons were always just at one guest, and it really was a good 35 to 40 minutes of having a, a very rich conversation with them. Um, but then I knew that there was groups in, in town, you know, whether if it was a, a young uh, Latinx Hispanic um, uh, uh, religious group or if it was an agency doing doing certain work, and I wanted to make sure that I, I, I could invite them. So I started to play around a little bit more with that and have a, a conversation with multiple people at once. So as I was going going through your podcast, uh, preparing for this interview, uh, I noticed a lot of overlap with uh, different identities coming in. Um, how do you feel that uh, the issues of accepting one's own identity evolves as uh, you pile in gender and sexuality, uh, mental health, uh, so on and so forth? Yeah, I think... I think it's a, a very complex thing to do. And I think my podcast has helped me realize the time frame that it takes people, the experiences that help them get there. And 
especially for the demographic that I'm working in, um, the Latinx Hispanic community who already comes with a lot of uh, diversified uh, identities in its sense from language to culture to heritage that are often in the U.S. also get very grouped together. Uh, Hispanic Heritage Month is a prime example of that. Um, Hispanic Heritage Week started in 1968. Uh, the term Hispanic uh, was made by the U.S. government to group together Hispanic-speaking people, uh, but we also know that not everybody in Latin America or not every uh, immigrant of, of color is from uh, is Spanish speaking, right? Brazil is a perfect example of that. Uh, a, a large uh, part of Latin America that speaks Portuguese, so they do not consider themselves Hispanic, but they do consider themselves uh, Latino, Latina, Latinx. Um, so I think very often we try to group these groups together, these people together, in order to make it easier. But then what we do realize is that by breaking them apart uh, or, or finding out more about the, the rich intersectional uh, identities that they have and spaces that they take up, that there's a lot more to them. And I think that's been the, the beautiful uh, complexity of the podcast and everybody's stories is that we all are here, whether we're Latinx or Hispanic, living with multiple identities. Um, whether you're a mom or a single mom or a mom and a professional at the same time, uh, we know that's hard, right? We know that that's hard, and that's something that should be talked about as well because a lot of people are taking that intersectional identity, and how are they doing it from a capacity of being a person of color, being a person of color who their first language is Spanish. So it is a very complex conversation, but that's what these um, rich conversations are all about, about how can we elevate those stories, those stories that often make us feel like it is a backset in our life that we're going into our workforce, being a mother, being a Spanish-speaking mother, um, and instead of having it be identified as a backset, be identified as, really, this is my power. My story is my power. My intersectional identities are my power because I am a, a first generation, because my native language is Spanish, because I am a mother, I can bring to the workforce an array of all of this. And that's what I try to bring um, to every single episode is really to pull those uh, rich moments out of every story and every guest, whether they identify them or not. Sometimes it is like pulling teeth because they're <laughs> not at that stage where they really believe in themselves. And I, as a guest, try to respectfully just say, you know, um, work to connect those dots for them and, and really let them know that everything that they bring to the table and the space that they're taking up is so important. It brings so much diversity to um, their classroom, their workspace. Um, but in a sense, we know that it's hard. We know that it's draining. We know that it's complex. We know that we still live in a society that doesn't view it the way my podcast is trying to view it. Mm. Um, and we know that we are taking on that fight one story at a time by just embracing people's stories, uplifting them, and hoping that by other people listening to them, they become... Uh, more aware of of their fellow neighbors, their classrooms, their uh, colleagues as well, um, in order to feel comfortable sharing their own stories and uplifting others. Um, so we understand that you do a lot of work uh, for Nevada's Latinx community outside of uh, your work here at the university. Uh, would you like to go into any of that at all? Uh, explain kind of what you've been up to, what um, I imagine that might be uh, moving into um, that uh, that business idea that you were hinting at earlier. If uh, if uh, you can't 
get into that too much. I completely understand. But uh, is there anything there that you'd like to discuss about, bring attention to? Well, no, as as I mentioned before, ever since I, I was very young and I was a teenager, I knew that my passion was uplifting my people and helping my people. And um, my career path passion of communications and the Spanish language has always been in place from uh, working in writing bilingual columns uh, uh, back home to uh, coming to to the University of Nevada and being of the first students to work on the platform of Noticiero Móvil, um, to work in our community in radio and nonprofit and take on spaces within boards. Um, and I think with the work that I do, not just the Latino Research Center as coordinator in education, research and outreach, with my title in itself is very broad, uh, which makes my work very broad and, and never a dull moment. Uh, but at the moment, we have research happening with uh, Nevada Faith in Action, a community organization looking at um, insecurities with, uh, with um, uh, food and also uh, housing issues within the Latinx community. Uh, we just finished a uh, needs assessment within the Latinx community, which was very timely with COVID, also brought its own difficulties, but we're working on the endpoint of producing some of those infographics so that we can post on our website and so that people can gain information specifically about Northern Nevada um, because we know that the Hispanic community in Northern Nevada is growing um, and there's a lot of data to be obtained. There's a lot of interested people in finding out more about our community, which is something great to see. And then outside of the um, uh, Latino Student Advisory Board that I advise, I also advise another group that's called uh, Orgullo Latinx, which is a group of LGBT Latinx folks in town who meet at our center on Wells uh, Avenue uh, to talk about specific Latinx issues with the LGBT community and how can we can better advance that. And something that I say on, I think, almost every single one of my podcast episodes and uh, those who've had the chance to work with me in other uh, spaces in, in my professional career is that I believe we're all called to be leaders in one way or another, whether if it's taking on a, a difficult conversation or being part of a board or just taking up important space where you could help the advancement of um, uh, marginalized communities or, or the people that you care for. Um, I really believe that we're all called to be leaders. And I think I've been telling myself that for a long time. So I like to take up spaces within the community. Um, and currently we're talking about how can we develop other people to really believe in that as well so you know that's something very exciting for our latinx folks uh who are part of the uh, university community but also overall uh, the community of northern nevada who are latinx who uh their uh, uh dominant language might be spanish and who want to become better leaders in the community in order to help policy move or legislation uh or even different uh nonprofits and organizations so we're really uh, sitting down, having meetings, uh, uh, attending meetings with, with the city of Reno and different things to really find out how we can better develop other people and be part of that conversation as well. So I'm really happy about the work that we do, and I'm really happy that the mission of the Latino Research Center uh, embodies not just the, the student campus, but also the community overall. Our mission is really to build that nexus, that bridge between the university Latinx community and the, the community uh, abroad in northern Nevada, so I'm happy to be part of that. Very cool. Are there any issues um, that uh, you believe are 
kind of not really being addressed uh and what uh do you think could best benefit those uh issues and uh of course as well you can um for this next part you can go into some of the issues that you've already discussed what specifically can be done uh at uh the university by university students faculty uh and also specifically at uh the lrc what programs could be put into place there I think there's a lot of work happening, which is great. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot more work that we do need to be done. The University of Nevada is an emerging Hispanic-serving institute, so there are a lot of efforts and a lot of conversations about how to bring more efforts uh, to the university to really be able to obtain this 25% uh, of enrolled full-time Hispanic Latinx-identified students. Um, in that conversation, um, and in the university being able to obtain that, I think there are a lot of things that can be done from uh, finding out more about why and how we can not just recruit Hispanic uh, Latinx students, but um, how can we become more successful, stronger, and more committed to the retention of these students and what affects them getting to higher education, believing that they can stay in higher education, and what are the obstacles that they face during higher education as well if that will be 25 percent of our student body um, something as uh, simple to say the the the, the least of uh, um, uh, talking about imposter syndrome and for faculty to be aware that this student body uh, goes through imposter syndrome every single day um, that we can include their rich heritage their stories their cultural contributions the diversity that uh, being bilingual really brings to the table in every classroom is very small steps, but very meaningful steps that we can do at the University of Nevada in every single classroom um, that will help really bridge that gap and uh, try to also um, help those students in believing in themselves, believe that this space is space that they can take up and that they belong to being more visible on campus and having their culture and their heritage be more visible on campus not just with identifying other uh, faculty and staff that are uh, as diverse as them or that share some of that rich heritage, uh, but also names of our buildings and murals on campus, arte uh, celebrations and programming. We just were able to uh, have our annual Tu Bienvenida, which is an event that, uh, as the name says, uh, welcomes, les da la bienvenida to students and faculty uh, that are Latinx Hispanic. We know that that's important to our faculty as well. If they're taking on a new job in Northern Nevada, it's already very isolating to, to have to move and relocate, but you also want to find a sense of community within things that are, are similar to your interests or what your needs might be as well. Uh, so we really try to showcase that, that. And I believe we had a very successful event despite coming back from COVID, despite being back to an in-person campus. We had a lot of students, freshmen, sophomores, uh, that it's their first time taking a step onto a, a four-year institution. And for them to see folkloric dancers, Latinx music, a cumbia lesson um, on campus at the Gateway Plaza in the heart of campus, front and center, uh, was really empowering to them. And I mentioned that because there was a lot of people that came to us right after the event. Now we're about a week and a half afterwards, and we are still hearing from both faculty and students how important that was, or if they're transfer students, how that didn't happen at their previous campus and how welcome they really felt. And so I can strongly say that our event was successful, but we're already looking at how we can 
maximize in a better effort that that event by collaborating with different uh, departments, organizations on campus uh, that don't necessarily need to identify Latinx. And that was one of the biggest purposes for why, uh, for myself as the coordinator in the programming of that event, um, to have it held right in the middle of campus. In the past, it's been held behind the Joe Crowley or in the Sculpture Garden at the KC, which is kind of hidden, um, or even in the rotunda of the KC. Um, and it almost seems like the event was just hidden. Um, so it was like, you know, per invitation only. And we really wanted to make sure that anybody who was walking by, whether you identify Latinx or Hispanic or heard music that resembled your, you know, uh, your own uh, heritage or not, and this was something that you didn't know about, that you were stopping by to enjoy the culture, to enjoy some of the resources, tabling clubs and orgs that were tabling there, to find out more about the student body, to find out more about that 22% that currently makes up the University of Nevada, which is our Latinx, Hispanic students and faculty as well. So we really wanted to make sure that uh, that, that was happening, you know, in, in the early afternoon um, and that people uh, of all backgrounds had an opportunity to stop by and learn about the rich heritage and of course uh, a way to kick off Hispanic Heritage Month as well. So we know that all those little things can help uh, with uh, students that are at our university for the very first time that are taking up uh, this uh, four-year, five-year commitment to obtain higher education um, for the first time in their families and help them feel more welcomed both in the classroom on the university campus and overall uh, by just being more aware that they're here and the rich contributions that they bring. All right. And finally, um, where can where can people find you? Where can people check out your podcast? Any other social medias that you'd like to shout out? Any events that you'd like to bring attention to? Um, now's your time to plug. <laughs> yeah. Well, as you mentioned, we always have something going on with the Latino Research Center um, our, we are located at Edmund J. Kane Hall Suite 100. It's a very welcoming space for students to come. We have a student lounge and a study area, so students are welcome to stop by at any time. Uh, but we also have a lot of events and a lot of collaborations with community. Uh, we're still celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month, but we're a year-long celebration, better said, of a lot of events that focus on our community. So they can find us on the UNR uh, page by just uh, typing in the little search uh, box uh, Latino Research Center, or uh, I think our students are better versed on social media platforms and they can definitely follow us on both Facebook and Instagram with the handle at UNR Latino Research Center. Very cool. All righty. Well, thank you for uh, coming on. It was a very interesting conversation. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Elevating Humanity, a podcast of the UNR College of Liberal Arts. Once again, you can find additional episodes of this podcast on Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. Consider checking them out and subscribing and giving us a review on our Google Play and Apple Podcasts pages. Your feedback is greatly appreciated. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or if you're a faculty member or student researcher at the UNR College of Liberal Arts and you're interested in appearing on the show, email our director, Lisa McDonald, at lrmcdonald at unr.edu with the subject line, Elevating Humanity Inquiry. That's lrmcdonald at unr.edu. Thank you again for tuning in.